Well, 2020 is almost over. A few more days, we're just counting it down till finally we can put 2020 behind us. And it's funny, um, you know, people I've seen on the internet and in different circles have just been saying things like, oh man, finally 2021 is here, or, you know, 2020 was the worst year ever. And what I think is interesting is that nothing actually happens on January 1st that is going to like make anything different, right? But the thing is, we love this idea of newness. We love, you know, making New Year's resolutions because it's a point where we can say, okay, the past is behind me. You know, things are going to change now. Things are going to be new now. Um, Whatever I did in the past, whatever I did last year, you know, all the things that happened to me last year, those are left there. I'm going to move on to the future. And I think there's a purpose for this. There's a reason that we all desire this newness. I think God has put it in us. Uh, He's created us in a way to crave being made new. I looked up uh, some of the most popular New Year's resolutions that people make. And uh, the, the top one, obviously, is to lose weight. You know, that's the top New Year's resolution that people have. Uh, But also on that list were things like get organized, um, spend less and save more, to to work out more, to spend more time with family, to quit smoking, to travel more. People have all these desires and they feel like, okay, in this new year, there can be this new me who does these new things. And, And people want to be transformed. They want transformation. We want to be able to say, okay, the old me is gone and the new me is here. Uh, And I think the only problem with that is that we utterly stink at transformation, at at changing ourselves, at transforming ourselves. We're terrible at it. I remember uh, a couple years ago when I was in college, I made a New Year's resolution that I was not going to eat fast food for the entire year. And, you know, it started off pretty strong. This was a tough New Year's resolution as a college student. But it started off pretty strong, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to do this. This is no big deal. I can, you know, cook more and eat healthier. And, you know, it got to this point towards the end of January where a friend of mine wanted to go to Chipotle. And I thought, well, you know, Chipotle doesn't really count as fast food, right? And so I thought, okay, Chipotle is on the end list. That's fine. You can, I can go to Chipotle. That's not fast food. Well. After going to Chipotle, uh, a couple days later, I was driving by a McDonald's, and I thought, you know what? I could really use some McDonald's right now. Like, it's cheap, it's fast, it tastes pretty good, but I made this New Year's resolution, and this is what I did to my head. This This is in all seriousness. I thought in my head, okay, well, if I go into the restaurant and eat inside of the restaurant, then technically it's slow food. It's not fast food anymore, right? Like I didn't go through the drive-through, and so that doesn't count as fast food. And it completely misses the whole point. And, and, and the truth is, most people who make resolutions actually end up within a month and a half failing at their resolutions. I looked this up. That only 8% of people who make resolutions for a year actually keep them. So we we just stink at changing. We stink at at becoming new and, and doing, you know, completing these resolutions. Yet, God created us with this des- desire to be made new, with this desire for transformation. And uh, what we're going to look at today is Romans chapter 12, the beginning of Romans chapter 12. 
And we're going to take a look at how God has placed within us this desire to be transformed, this desire to be made new, and how we can't do it on our own. And so before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for newness. Thank you for, for new life, for transformation, God, for putting this desire in us um, for change. We just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Romans 12.1 begins with this word. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore... I had this pastor, uh, Mark Russler in Tucson, who used to always say that if you see therefore in the Bible, you need to ask what it's there for, right? Because therefore is this transitional word. It's, it's saying, hey, whatever I just told you, therefore, blah, 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 something else, right? And so what just comes before the therefore is also very important. Uh, it, it's going to reveal something to us. And he continues on in verse 1. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And so here he even tells us what the therefore is there for, right? He says, in view of God's mercy, what I've just told you about in chapters 1 through 11 is that God is merciful. I've told you all about God's mercy. And this is what we've talked about, uh, you know, with Christmas Eve. This, this, he's laid out the gospel for them. In, in chapters 1 through 11, what he has told these people is that God loves you, yet, yet you rebelled against God. And because you rebelled, you deserve to be punished. Yet God, he decided to become one of us. He was incarnated, and he went to the cross, and he was resurrected so that we don't have to pay the punishment for that penalty. That's the mercy that I'm talking about, therefore. And so he gets to Romans 12 and he says, therefore, I want you to do something. I urge you, I exhort you, I petition you, do something in light of this mercy, right? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to live in a certain way, to do something. So in view of God's mercy, let's continue on. I urge you to... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when we talk about worship and hear about worship, uh, the first thing that usually pops into our mind is singing songs, right? Uh, we often you know, compartmentalize worship as uh, the part in the service where Tim gets up and leads us on a guitar you know, and we sing those songs. Uh, in reality, the, the whole service is a worship service, and so the whole time that we're in service, everything we do ought to be worshiping God. And that's, that's corporate worship, this, this joined-together worship. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. But then there's also this idea in the Bible of uh, a lifestyle worship, this idea that everything I do, everything in my life can be worshiped to God. I mean, the, the thing, eating breakfast in the morning, taking a shower, whatever I do, I can do it as worship to God. It's not just me singing songs, but, but there's actually this lifestyle in which I can lay down my life. What does he say? That I can offer myself as a living sacrifice to Jesus. That, 
That's what true worship is. And he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, this word true and proper, um, it can also be uh, translated as this is your logical and your rational worship. And what he's saying here is that the only logical and rational response to what you just heard in Romans, Romans 1 through 11, the only logical and rational response to the gospel is that you would worship God with your life. That you can't do this half-hearted sort of thing. The only, the only logical thing to do after you hear the gospel, hear the news that God has gone to the cross for you and that he's been resurrected and that there's, there's eternity waiting. If you believe that, if you hear that and you believe it and, and then continue to live the way you've been living, what he's saying is that would be crazy. You know what's logical? You know, you know what's rational? Is that you would offer your life as a sacrifice from here on out. C.S. Lewis, he says that Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. See, we can't do this half-hearted thing. He says we should offer our lives, our, our entire lives, to God. That's the logical, that's the rational thing to do when face-to-face with the gospel. So we are to worship God with our lives, and verse 2, then, is going to tell us what that looks like. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he starts off with this thing. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. What does it mean to, to be conformed to something. Well, uh, I always, when I think of being conformed, I think of being pushed into a mold. Uh, you know, if you, I've got little kids, my little two-year-old Judah will sometimes play with Play-Doh. And they have those little, you know, things that you can push the Play-Doh into in order to make shapes, like you can make you know, little food items or, you know, little weird stuff, whatever. But you, you take the Play-Doh and you shove it into this form, right? And then you pop it out, and it looks like the inside of the form. That's, that's what a mold is. And that's what this word conform means, is to be molded into something. This idea that we are not to be pushed into the form that the world would create. That we aren't to look like what the world looks like. Uh, he said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so what, what are the, the patterns of this world? Because it's, it's easy to say, okay, don't be conformed. Don't do those things that everyone else does. But what are, what are the things? What are, the, what are these patterns of the world that he's talking about? So let's clearly define that, and then we'll see what does it mean to be transformed. So first, to, to not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Um, there's a pastor I listen to. He says that the patterns of the world can be found in this chunk of Romans, Romans chapter 1 through 11, uh, specifically in Romans 1, in this section called God's Wrath Against Sinful Humanity. Sounds like a fun section, right? And what it does is it basically breaks down some of the different patterns of this world that are so broken. And we, 
We all see it. We all see the brokenness around us. If 2020 has taught us anything, is that the world's broken. And so uh, Romans is going to show us in, in chapter 1 what these broken uh, patterns are that we see. So first, Romans 1 starts in verse 21. It's going to go all the way to verse 25. But uh, the first thing in Romans 1, 21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the first pattern of the world is that the world takes the credit for what God has done. See, God is the author and perfecter of, of all things. He, he's brought every good thing into being. And we have this tendency as humans to blame God when things don't go our way, but then to take the credit when things do go our way. Right? We, we like to think that, oh, I've worked hard and I've earned something. But if something goes bad, we also like to you know, say, well, God, why would you let this happen to me? Right? The truth is that as, as believers in Jesus, thankfulness should ooze out of us. I mean, gratitude to God should just, just be part of who we are. We should be so much more in tune with what God is, is doing in us and for us than, than what, uh, what I don't have. Um, I have asthma. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if anyone else has asthma out there, but as, as a kid, my mom's going to hate hearing this story, but as a kid, uh, every now and then I would go and do sleepovers at friends' houses, and every now and then, when I was at a friend's house, I'm allergic to dogs, and so they would have a dog, and usually, right as about we were getting ready to go to bed, um, I would start feeling like I was having a little bit of asthma. It was starting to become a little more difficult to breathe, and uh, usually would lay down, lights would go off, and all of a sudden it would get worse and worse. And it would be to the point where I was, you know, really laboring to breathe. I, I was kind of fighting for every breath. Um, and I, I'm a nine, and so on the Enneagram, I don't want to bother anyone, right? I don't want to be a nuisance. And so usually what I would do is I would just sit there and wait. And I would, honestly, I would sit and wait, hoping that either I would fall asleep or that the morning would come. And, and I remember that when my mom would pick me up and I'd finally get my inhaler, the breathing, I would just be so thankful to be able to breathe again, right? Like I had gone, you know, I had fought to breathe for so long that, oh, now I can finally breathe again and it feels so good. No one on the planet in that moment, right after I took my inhaler, no one on the planet was, was more thankful for their breath than I was, right? It, it was just like, oh, this gift. And, and that's how we ought to be with God. Literally every good gift we have comes from God. So we should be marked by thankfulness as his people. Second thing, Romans 1 continues on in verse 22. It says that claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. So the second pattern of the world is that we think we know better than God. I, and no one would really say this. No one would, think, no one would say out loud, like, oh, I, th I think I know better than God. 
but, but we live that way. We act like that. Um, we act as if, hey, God doesn't know my life and, and what I'm going through, and he wouldn't have said the things he said uh, if, if he lived in 2020. And you know, we, we don't let God overrule our thinking, right? Oftentimes we think God would change his mind if he was in my shoes, not I should change my mind because it, it disagrees with what God has said. Um, we like to justify our rebellion against God. It's like we don't realize that God's commands are meant to lead us into fuller life, but we think we've found out a better way, right? It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They thought they were being smart. They thought they were smarter than God, essentially, and they exchanged the glory of God for images, for, for the stuff resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Um, you know, I always think uh, about how th- what things were designed for, right? This, this music stand that's sitting, standing in front of me, it's holding my papers. This music stand does a great job at holding papers for someone who's standing up and giving a sermon. But if I took this music stand and tried to use it as a hat, you, you would probably say, well, that's crazy. Why are, you doing, why are you putting that thing on your head? That's not meant to be a hat, right? That's meant to hold your papers. That's meant to hold something, not to be put upon, upon your head. And if I was like, well, don't tell me what to do. I want to put it on my head. Be like, well, that's just silly, though. That's not what it's for. It's, it, it's going to hurt you. It's going to fall. It's going to hit you. You know, it, it's just not built for that. And if you were go, to go to someone, the person who created the music stand with a music stand on your head, they, they would say, what are you doing? That's not why I made that. I didn't make this so that you could put it on your head. I made this for a purpose, and the purpose is good. But if you use it the wrong way, man, that's not going to end up well. See, God's commands in Scripture are meant to protect us, and they're, they're meant to lead us into fuller life. And so often we think, I know a better way. You know, God, yeah, sure, you created everything. You created the entire universe. But I think I have figured out a better way to do this. And it's like we're putting a music stand on our heads. Finally, the third part, Romans 1, verse 25, says this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The third pattern of the world is that the world worships creation over the creator. Uh, This is what is going on uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, right? The the son comes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance and, and I want it now. And what essentially he's saying to the father is, I don't care about you. I don't care about our relationship. I don't love you. I just want your stuff. I just want you what you can get me. He's worshiping the stuff over the giver of the stuff. And the truth is, all the stuff, all the good things of life are meant to lead us into worship of God. You know, anything that, that is good and fulfilling in life is meant to make us say, wow, you know, that meal is so good. That steak was so incredible. It's awesome that we have an amazing God who creates things like this. Or, or wow, you know, I love this, this woman so much. My wife is incredible. She's not God, though. That it's meant to lead me into worship of God because I see what God has created. Um, n- nothing was meant to be the end in of itself. They were, they were meant to... Uh, 
point us to the one who created them. We ought to worship the creator rather than the creation. I mean, if you can just take a look at celebrities, right? They look like they have it all. They've got all the stuff. I mean, they've got fame, and they've got money, and they've got people who adore them and good looks. And you think that they would be just supremely happy beings. And yet over and over again, you see how unhappy so many of them are. And it's because they've chosen to worship creation over the creator. So, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but what? It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word, uh, transformation, it actually you know, comes from the word metamorphosis. It's this idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, right? And so what it's saying is transformation, this transformation that God offers, uh, that's opposite to conforming to the world, is it's pervasive. It's not confined to, to one area of my life. It, it's not just putting a new coat of paint on something. It's knocking a building down and building something new in its place. And so it's not merely about the outward behavior modification. It's, it actually gets into the heart, into the soul. Uh, transformation comes from the inside out, not the outside in. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, right? They looked good on the outside. Things looked good. But on the in, inside, they were still dead. No transformation had happened. And so transformation happens from the inside out. We were uh, pulling weeds over at Paradise, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, if we were just to get weed whackers out there and just cut them all as short as we could, what would happen in a month? All the weeds would grow right back up, right? Because you're only taking off the top. You're not getting to the root of the problem. And that's, that's what transformation is talking about. It, it happens at the root. You've got to pull it out by the root. You can't just treat the symptoms. So if we want soul transformation, transformation from the inside, let's talk about what is the soul. We're going to take a look back real quickly at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so what is this verse telling us? It's, it's that God created a corpse from the ground, right? Adam was dead until God breathed into him. The lights hadn't been turned on yet. The soul hadn't been put in him yet until God breathed into him. It was only when God breathed that, that life happened. See, Hebrew scholars thousands of years ago taught that the most essential characteristic of the human soul is God's breath. That they believed that the human soul and God's breath are, are this inextricably linked thing. And, and so really, every human being on the planet has this breath of life, this God's breath inside of them. Everyone who's living has this God's breath in them. In Job 33, verse 4, it says that the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So when we talk about our soul, we're talking about God's breath within us, that the source of our soul is God's breath. And so this is why the Hebrews taught the power of worship, the power of praise. They taught that the highest 
office that a human could, could possess was as a worshiper of God. They thought, if God's breath gives me my soul, then I will return the breath that he has given me to honor him. And it's in this exchange where you discover true life and fulfillment and your soul finds its ultimate purpose. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. See, it's here. When I use my breath to praise the Lord, when I use my borrowed air, to worship God, my soul finds its home. And it's here, it's only when we've done that. It's only once we've acknowledged who God is and given him glory and begun to worship him that this is where transformation happens. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, everything that has God's breath in them, let them return that breath to God, and your soul will find its home. You see, in, in worship, we connect with the essence for which, which we exist. And, and just like we talked about at the beginning of this, that worship is not only our singing and our praise and, and, our, and our corporate gathering, but worship is a lifestyle. It, it's a way of living. It places us, the, the living in a lifestyle of worship places us under the fountain of God's transformative power in our lives. You want to be made new? You want transformation? You you want newness of life? Well, it's found in God. It's found in the worship of Him. It's, It's found in acknowledging who He is and living life in such a way that everything else looks like garbage in comparison. And in such a way that every part of your life becomes worship to Him. That's that's when transformation takes place. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and be transformed by his power. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us who you are, for putting your spirit within us, and for giving us transformation. God, I pray that we would just cry out, our souls would cry out to you to be transformed, to be more like you, that we would just worship in in the way we live our lives, that we would remember you at all times. We ask that you would do a new work in us in this new year. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.